chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, let me begin by saying that if you are a real, average, ordinary Christian, then you have probably at one time or another read an Old Testament story and thought, where am I in that story? And if you're like me, too often I think we, we tend to read ourselves in as the heroes of the story, right? We read David and Goliath, and we're like, yeah, I'm like David, I'd be up there fighting everybody. Uh, we look at the story of Abraham, he receives this call, and it says he believes God, and he'd be like, yeah, I'd have been like Abraham, sure, God, I'll go wherever. Uh, we get the story of Daniel, and you think, yeah, yeah, I'd be like Daniel, nobody tells me to bow down to an idol, I'll do whatever God tells me to do. And we read ourselves into those stories like that, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think normally we're actually not the heroes in the story. Uh, and, you know, David and Goliath, we're, we're the Israelites up on the hill, shaking in our boots, too afraid to fight and, and defend the Lord's honor. Um, we're more like Abraham when he doubts God's provision for a son than we are about, yes, I'll go wherever. Um, you know, Daniel and the lion's den, we're the ones sort of hiding in our you know, homes. We've capitulated maybe somehow. We're not the ones with strong courage. So we read these stories and we, we want to put ourselves in at the heroes, but I think oftentimes we're really more not the heroes. And we come to a story uh, of Jonah, and this is a character where we read the story and we don't want to say, yeah, yeah, I'm like Jonah. We want to say, I'm not like Jonah at all. I'm better than that. I'm, I'm different than that. We, we don't walk away from this story and be like, oh, how can I be like Jonah this week? At least this far. I mean, as far as we've gotten today, or last weekend today. Uh, because in the beginning, Jonah's actions really aren't commendable. Certainly not for a prophet. I mean, he's, he's not doing so hot at the moment as a prophet. He's heard the call of God. He's um, been given a commission, and he walks away in disobedience. But again, I think if we're honest, we would probably have to admit that more often than not, we actually are like Jonah. We actually are like Jonah the prophet. We will profess to know God. We profess to love God. We, we profess the things about Scripture that we know. We memorize it. We know theology. And yet when it comes to actually obeying the Lord, many times we go the opposite way and we walk in disobedience. We say the right things, but our lives betray us. Uh, our witness too often is not consistent with our profession. And in our text today, we see Jonah the prophet making this claim. He says, I fear the Lord. He makes this claim of, about fearing the Lord. And we would assume, okay, great, you fear the Lord then. That means you walk in obedience and you obey his commands. But what we actually find is, again, Jonah is running the complete opposite direction, living in disobedience. And on the other hand, we have this group of pagan sailors, sort of the unsung heroes of the story here, who, in, in my opinion, demonstrate a, a fear of God that is actually more consistent, more appropriate than the prophet Jonah does. They recognize who this Yahweh is. They see this power demonstrated in the storm, and they fear him. Meanwhile, Jonah is still running in disobedience. And so in an ironic turn of events here, these pagan sailors give us a better demonstration of genuine fear than does the prophet of God. And so it leads us to our main idea that I hope that we see this morning in the text that genuine fear of God, not fear as in like spider fear, but fear as in recognizing his power. Genuine fear of God leads us to recognize his power and obey his commands. That's what genuine fear of the Lord ought to do for us. So if you have uh, Jonah pulled open there, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. I want to read for us, beginning in verse 1. Uh, we'll do all the way through 10 so we get a running start at our passage. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say word. 
Scripture says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are uh, reminded afresh that this is your word for us. It is authoritative. It is inerrant. And as we seek to understand and apply, we ask that your spirit would give us grace. We are often slow to understand, slow to obey. And so we pray that you would give us understanding, give us humility to receive, that we might obey and live out your word for us today. Thank you for this opportunity to gather. May we take advantage of it as we listen, learn, and receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to help us think through our text this morning as sort of the next scene of the story, I want us to think about it in terms of two actions undertaken by the sailors, two actions that these sailors are going to do that are going to help us think through the text. The first is they're going to do an investigation, and then secondly, an interrogation. So let's start with the investigation. Let me read verse 7 for us again. They said to one another, remember they've, they've done all these things, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose accounts this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, if you remember from last week or if you read the story, you know up to this point they've done everything that they could, the standard operating procedures for sailors, they've done everything they could to survive at this point. Uh, they have chucked everything over the edge to lighten the boat, and keep in mind, if they make it at this point, they don't have anything to sell. They're broke at this point. They've thrown their livelihood over, but they did that. They have, uh, back in verse 5, they've prayed to their own gods. Okay, you over there, you pray to your God. You pray to your God. We'll see if anything works. Hopefully we'll get out of this. They've done everything they can. And when nothing works, they begin to think, you know what? This might not be a normal storm. This might not be an average storm. This might be a result of some divine intervention, something bigger than just a storm is going on here. Now, we would look at that maybe from our Western context and think, well, that seems kind of strange. You know, a storm blows through. We just think it's a storm. But in the ancient Near East, and honestly, today in much of the world, uh, people have the thinking that natural events, natural occurrences are intimately connected with supernatural interventions. 
a, a storm blows through and your house falls over. Well, maybe the gods were offended. I forgot to make my sacrifice this week. Uh, a drought comes through and all my crops die. Well, uh, maybe someone put a curse on me and their God is angry at me. Things like that. There's this connection between the natural and the supernatural. Something bad happened? Well, some God is offended. And this is their thinking. And so they become confident that, look, we've, we've thrown everything overboard. We've prayed to our gods. Something more is going on. Somebody has offended a particular God, and we need to figure out who the guilty person is. Because until we find out who did it, we can't fix it. We need to find out who it is, what God did you offend, and then we can try to figure out how to make them happy again. And the process for this, they figure out here, they get, they're going to do, is they're going to cast lots. Now, this for us, it would be like flipping a coin. It would be like rolling the dice. Very common practice in the ancient Near East of casting lots. In fact, you actually see it in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, if you're familiar, this is the sin of Achan. Remember, uh, there's sin in the camp, and they go and they attack Ai, and they get defeated, and they figure out, you know, somebody has withheld things. Somebody has sinned, and so they cast lots to figure out who. Joshua chapter 18, the dividing of the land among the tribes. They cast lots to do that. 1 Samuel chapter 10, choosing Saul as king. They cast lots to sort of narrow down the tribes to the families, and then they finally get to Saul. And then even in Acts chapter 1, this is post-resurrection of Jesus. The now 11 disciples are sitting around thinking, who do we get to replace Judas Iscariot? And so they cast lots, and it falls on a man named Matthias. So casting lots is a common practice, and it would have looked something like pebbles or stones, maybe sort of flat. We would think about good for skipping on a lake. And they would have painted them different colors on each side. And the idea was that when you sort of throw them down, uh, however they landed with certain colors up or down was interpreted as either an affirmative or a negative. So you ask your question, uh, you know, are my crops going to be good this year? You cast lots. And however they turn, that was a yes or a no. And so they, they take that strategy here and they start going down the line. They start going down the roster. Uh, Bill, Dad, come up here. Let's see if it's you. And they do the cast lots. No, all right, you're good. Go back. Um, um, Zophar, whoever you are, come over here. We cast lots. No, you're okay. And they go down the roster until they come to Jonah. And they cast the lots. And it's a yes or an affirmative. And I, I can't help but imagine you know, the storm is still going on. I think guys are still puking their guts out because they're sick. They're worried. They're screaming. And they're over here huddled together throwing the rocks. And they're like, oh, is it Jonah? Okay, let's uh, and can you imagine the heads come up, the eyes turn, and everybody's looking at Jonah? We've been out here for hours. We threw our livelihood over. We're all thinking we're still going to die, and now we know who. Like the hammer is dropped. The truth is out. Uh, when I was growing up, I, one of my favorite shows to watch was Law & Order, uh, the first one, the best one. Um, Lenny Briscoe. Um, anybody watch that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you. A few of you um, older people. Uh, take that how you will. Um, it was a great show, but what I loved about it was any episode that happened, you know, it was always a crime, somebody murdered or whatever, but at some point in every episode, there was a moment where the truth finally came out. You know, they go in the guy's house, and they're rummaging around, and they, they pull out the murder weapon. He's like, oh, how'd that get in there? Or the guy's on the stand, and uh, he's being, you know, cross-examined. We know he's guilty, but he hasn't proven it yet, and he gets all fired up, and he says something that he shouldn't. The truth comes out, and you can see it, and the, the music changes, and the people in the, the um, jury, they're like, ah, the truth comes out. That's the moment here. You know, Jonah's been quiet this whole time. He's been sleeping part of the time. 
And now the, the, the lots have been cast and the truth is out. It's Jonah. It's the whole reason we're in this mess. The whole reason we threw everything over, we're about to die out here, it's that Jonah character. Now, we're not told what Jonah was thinking about this process. Uh, we don't know if he was sitting there just thinking, oh boy, it's a matter of time. Or maybe he was confident. Maybe he knew, like, look, lots, it's random. I mean, odds are it's going to pick somebody else before it picks me. We don't know what he's thinking. But either to his surprise or to his dread, the lots fall and they point straight to him. He's done his best to get away, and the truth is out. And I want to make from this, this circumstance here two observations for application as we think about this. The first of which is that God is sovereign over all things, even the random things. Even the seemingly um, scattered seemingly random, seemingly by chance things. God is sovereign over them. Jonah may have been sitting there hoping, boy, I just, you know, you know, fingers crossed, I hope the thing doesn't land on me. But it seems he forgot what we learn in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What seemed random was anything but random. And just as Jonah couldn't escape the presence of God, we saw last week, it's absurd to think you can escape his presence, so also this week he can't escape the sovereignty of God. There's nowhere that he can go, nowhere he can run far enough that he can get away from the control and the orchestrating of God. And likewise for us, there's no matter, uh, no matter the situation, no matter where we go, we cannot escape the sovereign control of God. Now, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that no matter where we go, we can confidently say God is still orchestrating and working all things. Let me read you a quote from A.W. Pink. He says, No revolving world, no shining of star, no storm, no creature moves, no actions of men, no errands of angels, no deeds of devil, nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed. And he says this, here is a foundation of faith. Here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate, unbridled evil, man or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. What a, man, let's pack up and go home. I mean, that, that's enough for today. I mean, what an incredible thought that no matter what happens in this world, and it seems to just go more chaotic every day, God is sovereignly working. It's not blind fate, uh, A.W. Pink says. It's not unbridled evil or man, or man or devil. It's the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world. And when we take hold of the sovereignty of God as believers, and it goes from just uh, something that's written in these dusty old books that we don't read to something that we take and we cling to, we find that no matter what circumstances we come to, in the deepest and darkest moments of despair or depression or disaster, when everything is crumbled, everything is burned, everyone has left me, everyone has turned against me, and there's nothing left in the world, we can be confident and we can rest in knowing that our good and our gracious Heavenly Father is in control. That's why Charles Spurgeon said that when you go through a trial, he said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. 
go through a trial, how can I even sleep tonight? Because I know God is sovereign. I know he's in control. Jonah thought he could get away. I can go, go far enough and God's, God's reach won't get me. But that's not true. And for you and I, no matter where we go, whether it's a bright sunny day in a normal life or whether it's the darkest of times, God is sovereign and he's working things out. So God is sovereign over all things, even random things. And then second observation, sin will not go hidden forever. Sin will not go hidden forever. I think Jonah thought that if I just get far enough, nobody will know. Nobody will know who I am. Nobody will know why I'm here. I think he thought he could hide his sin, hide his disobedience. Of course, God knew. God knew the whole time. And moreover, as we see in the story, Jonah's sin brought consequences that affected more people than just him. His sin and disobedience began to affect the people around him. The whole reason they're in a boat in a storm is because Jonah's brought this upon them. But how often do we think, maybe you've had this thought, well, this doesn't involve anybody else. This doesn't affect anybody. It's me. It's my thing. No harm done to anybody else. What's it matter? We have this thought that our, our sin, we can just sort of do it over here by ourselves, and it doesn't affect anybody else. But our obedience will not go hidden forever. Of course, God knows from the beginning. But others will learn eventually as well because our disobedience, our sin brings consequences and it brings destruction. The farther we go in unrepentant sin and unconfessed sin, the more destruction we bring on ourselves and the more destruction we bring on people around us. How many marriages are destroyed by the sin of one person? How many families are destroyed by the sin of one person? How many relationships do we have that... One person thought, you know what, it's just me, I'm just doing my thing, it doesn't affect anybody else, and so it explodes. Our sin cannot go and will not go hidden forever. And I say this, it is better to repent now of sin and disobedience and seek forgiveness rather than trying to keep it hidden until it eventually just explodes. It blows up and it brings destruction on those around us. Had Jonah simply heard the command and said, not a fan of this, particularly care for the Ninevites, but I will obey the Lord, all of this could have been avoided. All of this destruction could have been avoided. These poor sailors never would have been caught in the deadly storm. So it's better to repent now. It's better to forsake sin now than to keep going thinking, well, it's just me. I I, I got this. I can do this. I have this under control. No, eventually it'll explode. I wonder if you're here this morning and would answer this question in your heart, are you hiding sin this morning? You think you got it under control? There's something that you're running with, that you're walking with, you're keeping uh, for yourself, you're walking in this disobedience thinking, look, nobody knows, nobody has to know, it's just me. Now, church, hear me on this. God already knows. That's the most important. It's not hidden. But secondly, eventually it will be exposed as it brings destruction on you and those around you. And so I say simply this, forsake it now. Um, uh, um, seek forgiveness now. Whatever it is that you're holding on to thinking this is, this is good, I want to keep this, it's not. And what is better is obedience. What is better is forgiveness. So don't be like Jonah, walking your way, doing your thing, and thinking nobody has to know. No, forsake. Cast away your sins, seek forgiveness, and walk in obedience. That is better. 
Two observations there. God is sovereign over all things, and sin will not go hidden forever. Now, these sailors, when their prayers didn't work, they undertake an investigation. Let's figure out who's the fa- whose fault it is. And then secondly, having identified Jonah as the guilty party, they now begin an interrogation. Imagine if you're the sailors on the boat. You finally know whose fault it is. I want to know who this joker is. What have you done, and why have you brought this on me? Let me read verses 8 through 10 again. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men, that's the sailors, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This crew wants to know exactly who this guy is and exactly what he's done to bring on this calamity. And they want to know whose God he has offended. Is it one of their gods? Is it a different God that they don't know? And Jonah tells them in verse 9, this is like his biography. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you put verse 9 and 10 together, particularly the last line of verse 10, we can deduce here that Jonah has essentially given them the whole spiel. He's told them the whole story. Uh, guys, you'll never believe it. I was sitting on my, you know, on my own over here. God came to me and told me to go to Nineveh, but I didn't want to go, so here I am. He's told them the whole story. And when Jonah describes himself as someone who fears the Lord, I can't help but think some people are like, huh? Because he's like, guys, let me tell you about myself. I fear the Lord. And all, all of a sudden, there's this glaring inconsistency of the entire situation comes into view here. He's a prophet of God. He has served the Lord. He knows the Lord. He's listened to the Lord. And yet here he is in a boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, running from God's presence and rejecting his commission. I mean, you, read, you look at this and you're like, wait, something's missing here. So, some, somewhere we got off of here because I, I claim to fear the Lord. I, guys, let me tell you, I fear the Lord, and yet here I am in disobedience. Here we find an example of a character in Jonah that we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be the Jonah in this, in this story. I'm no Jonah. I would have obeyed. I would have gone to Nineveh. I know I would have. But really, would we have? How many times are we equally guilty of an inconsistent faith? How many times are we guilty of an inconsistent witness? Because it's easy to live in the Christian life. It's easy to, to fall into this trap of, I say the right things, I profess faith, I can say the, the scriptures, I can, I can talk theology, I know all the right things, but then I go out and I live a life of disobedience. And I live a life where it's like, you know what, I say God's will be done, but I live as if it's my will be done. We profess God's love and then we withhold love from others made in his image. We come here on a Sunday morning and we sing praises to God and then we go out there and we just tear people apart at work. People made in his image. We proclaim holiness. We talk about a a holy God. We sing holy, holy, holy. And we talk about being set apart. We talk about being uh, filled with the fruit of the spirit, being holy. And then we go out during the week and we fill our minds and our hearts with garbage that dishonors the Lord and those around us. How often do we, we fall into this trap of, I can say the right things, I can put on the faith, 
within my life to praise him. That's why James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know what he says? If you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself. He says, be doers, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It's easy to deceive yourself. The words come out. It's all the right things to say. But then our lives betray us. And if you think like, oh, look at he's preaching at us. No, I'm preaching at myself. Believe me, this is not a fun one to preach. One author describes it this way. He says, the words seem to trip off Jonah's tongue so easily. But what about his life? As important as the verbal testimony is, we have to ask about the supporting evidence. The point is that the Christian is not just called to give evidence. He must be evidence. This is not merely saying that it is really helpful if he or she can produce something visible to back up the words. It's saying that the life and everything else that goes with it will inevitably and unavoidably be evidence itself. So he ends this this way. He says the only question is this. Is the testimony supported or contradicted? You know, we talk often about uh, giving evidence for the gospel, giving evidence for the, the existence of God. And I appreciate this author showing that it's one thing to give evidence, it's another to be evidence. What kind of evidence are we of the power of God at work in us? We can say, God has changed me, God has made me new, but do our lives support that claim? Or do our lives betray that claim? Jonah here His testimony at this point is unsupported by his life. You know, if I'm a sailor on that boat and I think, Jonah, all I know of you is the last few hours on this boat, I am not confident in what you're saying. You claim to fear the Lord, and yet here you are telling us this story about walking away in disobedience and bringing on the storm. You know, your your claims aren't carrying that much weight. You know, the sailors weren't the smartest people in society, but they could see this glaring inconsistency. His profession of theological belief was unsupported by his witness. I fear the Lord, but I'm living over here in disobedience. And you see in this exchange here between Jonah and the sailors, these sailors, they don't only highlight the inconsistency in Jonah's faith. They certainly do that. But I think they also demonstrate for us a more genuine fear of the Lord than the prophet Jonah does. Let me explain what I mean. These sailors in their culture would have worshipped a God known as Baal Shemim. It literally means the Lord of heaven. That was their little G God. And they thought this God was supreme. Uh, He was the one who controls the heavens and even the one who brings storms. Well, for the last however many hours, they've been praying to Baal Shemim, saying, take away this storm. But nothing's happened. All their prayers have not been heard because apparently they're learning Baal Shemim is not powerful enough for this one. They knew storms. They knew this was something different. This was too powerful for their God. This God of the Hebrews was too powerful. And so they feared. That's why he has the question here. Uh, Verse 10. Yeah, verse 10. What is this you have done? They're not asking him to explain again. Hey, Jonah, what did you do? No, this is what have you done? We are literally going to die in this storm. What have you done? They are terrified. One commentator, he describes it this way. He says, to run away from a little g God was foolish, but to run from the God of heaven who made the sea and the land was suicidal. These sailors are showing that they're getting the picture at this point better than Jonah did. They are showing for us a greater understanding of the power of God because we see genuine fear here. They know who who Jonah has wronged. 
They're seeing it. They say, look, I've been praying to our gods for hours here. Nothing will work. Clearly, your God is stronger, and you're telling us that you're in disobedience? We should have asked before you got on the boat. They understood that something is going against them. They understood that that there was a, a fear to be had here. They understood the power of God, but Jonah, what about him? He says it, I fear the Lord, guys, but here I am in disobedience. We would expect the prophet of God to be the hero in the story to fear the Lord, to receive the commission, and to walk in obedience as a great model for us. But he's running away in disobedience. And it's not a dump on Jonah sermon. That's just what happens. He's being shown up by these pagan sailors. They're giving us a better understanding right now of the person of God than the prophet of God did. Because they recognize just from a storm, this is a God you obey, not a God that you run away in disobedience from. So what an indictment on the prophet. And that's why our main idea for this morning is that genuine fear of God leads us to recognize his power and obey his commands. If you really get who God is, the the maker of all things, the Lord of the heavens and the seas, the dry land, everything that's made, if you get that, then we recognize his power and we obey his commands. And it seems, at least in this point, Jonah hasn't gotten that. These sailors have. They know exactly what's going on. They recognize it. That's why they say, what is this you have done? What have you brought upon us? In chapter 1, Jonah flees his commission. God comes and says, all right, Jonah, I've got a task for you. Go and preach to the Ninevites. Jonah says, no thanks. Now we know, if you've you've read over to chapter 4, we know the reason he didn't do this. You remember the reason? He He knew that if he went and preached to these Ninevites, that they would repent, and God would actually have mercy. It's like, I just, I just knew, God, knowing you, you'd have mercy on them. And I didn't want that. I didn't want those jerks over in Nineveh, those pagans. I don't want, them, I don't want you having mercy on them, so I'm not even going to go. I'm going to go somewhere else. He flees because he doesn't want God to have mercy on the Ninevites. But church, we've also been given a commission. We talk about it often, the Great Commission. Our commission is to make disciples very similar to Jonah. We're called, hey, go and tell those people about Jesus, preach to them repentance, and trust the Lord to have mercy on them. Very similar calling. May we not likewise neglect our commission because we don't want to see certain people saved. May it not be said of us that we don't want to make disciples, we don't want to tell certain people about Jesus Because we're too confident. You know what? Knowing God, he'd actually save them. And I don't want that. God says, go and preach to your neighbor. You don't know what kind of neighbor I got, God. I'm thinking about moving. Go and preach to your family members. But you don't know what they did to me growing up. Go and preach to that community of of immigrants across town. Yeah, but you don't know what they believe. Some strange things going on there. They're the enemy. May it not be said of us that we forsake our commission like Jonah because we don't actually want to see God save the people we come across. May it not be said of us. God forbid that we would not make disciples because we don't think certain people deserve forgiveness. As I said earlier, if if we're honest, myself front of the line here, too often we are exactly like the prophet Jonah. Uh, You know, if you're like me, we have, I have great moments of obedience and epic moments of disobedience. 
Some days I think, man, I'm, it's like I'm walking with the Lord. I'm in the garden. This must be how Adam and Eve felt. And then like that, I'm over here in the desert somewhere, walking in disobedience. We are, too often we are inconsistent in our faith. We, we say the right things, I can quote all the things, but our lives betray us. Our witness too often is not consistent with our profession. Like Jonah, we, we claim to fear the Lord, which should lead us to recognize his power and obey his commands. And yet, like Jonah, we often are inconsistent in that obedience. Now, by God's grace, hopefully we're growing in that. Hopefully you and I can say, from a year ago, I'm, I'm more consistent in my obedience today. From five years ago, from ten years ago, night and day difference. Hopefully you can say that. And in those moments where we're inconsistent, and we have those just epic failures, and we walk in disobedience, in those moments, I'm grateful that we have someone who was perfectly consistent in, her, his, in his obedience to the Father's will. We have someone who is a perfect example of obeying the Lord. That's Jesus. Without Jesus' obedience to the Father, we wouldn't even be saved. If Jesus had not obeyed his commission, we would not be forgiven of our sins. Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden. Crucifixion's coming. He's, he's sweating drops of blood. What's he praying? Take this away. Let it be some other way. But how does he end his prayer? Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Without the obedience of Jesus, we would still be lost in our sins. If Jesus had walked away and said, I know what the commission is, not interested, I'm going this way, we would be lost in our sins. But because of his obedience, obeying the commission from the Father, Paul can write this in Romans 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's Jesus. One man's sin brings disobedience and sinners out of all of us. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That act of obedience in the garden, that act of obedience on the cross for us, means that now we can be made righteous. Such that when we have our days of disobedience, we have a Jonah day or Jonah moment, we can rest in the confidence that there is one who has obeyed perfectly on my behalf when I couldn't obey. When I don't obey, I look not to my own inconsistent obedience, but to the perfect, consistent obedience of the Savior. If you're here this morning and uh, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to take what is the first step of obedience to the Lord. You know what the first thing is you're supposed to do? Repent and believe. The first thing you can do to obey the Lord is to repent and believe, to forsake your sin, to look to Jesus on a cross, receive forgiveness. Don't be the Jonah and say, like, you know what, I've been running this way my entire life. Come back. Forsake all the things you've been holding on to, all the destruction that you bring, and cling to Jesus. Receive the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. And for those here this morning that are already followers of Jesus, I hope that the story of Jonah thus far serves to challenge our faith and challenge our witness. Because my prayer for myself and for us is that we would be consistent in our obedience such that the testimony of our mouths and the witness of our lives would be the same. That the testimony of our mouths and the witness of our lives would be the same my prayer for you and for me. Let me pray for us.
Our Father in heaven, we are uh, reminded in the story of Jonah that uh, even the prophet of God has this moment of disobedience. And it points to us our, in our own lives, our inconsistent faith and obedience. And so my prayer is for me, for those here this morning, that we would be more consistent in our obedience. That when we say we love you, that we show that we love you. When we say that we know your commands, that we show that we follow your commands. Uh, when we say that we believe you are in control, we, we live as if you are in control. Help us to be more consistent so that when a watching world looks at us, they don't see an inconsistent church, but they see a church full of people whose testimony and witness are the same. My, how our world, our communities, our homes might be changed if the people of God looked a bit more consistent. That's our prayer. And we trust that you will work it in us by the Spirit. We trust that in days where we have failed, you would turn our, our minds and our thoughts to Christ. And you would continue to forgive us and work in us as we know you are, shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's uh, close our time this morning by singing a song of response. Uh, I think a fitting song, the story of Jonah, uh, I, the, the fear the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the seas and all that's in it. Uh, we can sing this song, Ancient of Days, as we um, celebrate and glory in our sovereign creator, the one who is the Ancient of Days.